Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Engley, joined as always by Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Good, Ryan. Nice to talk to you. It is nice to talk to you as well. And uh, what are we talking about today, Todd? I think we're going to talk about Hegel and race or racism. Yes, very. And actually, the the difference between the two terms, very important for talking about Hegel, as we're going to very get important. to. Um, yes, this is the, the long promised uh, Hegel and race episode, which we have been, much requested. Uh, so much requested. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's good that good that we're doing this. So this um, structure of this episode is going to be a little uh, point counterpoint. Um, we're going to uh, give, I think, um, an account of Hegel and Haiti, which is like, I mean, this is Susan Buckmore's. Uh, this is her project, right? Like, right? And and um, and. It started with an article that came out. I'm forgetting where it was published and how long ago. I think it, it was in PMLA or something. It was in a very prominent journal, but maybe not PMLA, but yeah. Right, and and it caused a bit of a stir because she wanted to resurrect the idea of universal history, which right. uh, nobody else did. <laughs> in fact, yeah. the book is called Hegel, Haiti, and Universal History. So that is even in the title of the book. So Right, and that, that's like um, a very nice academic version of... Uh, Stand your ground, I think, as they <laughs> as they say in Florida. Um, <laughs> right. So, right. Um, but the point is that uh, th- this is obviously the reason why we've been asked to do this, or, or, or like we brought it up and then we're we're uh, doing it now, is because it's a it's a like a hot topic within um, Hegel studies, and it brings up a lot of um, particularly the ideas of universality that are not. Um, in the contemporary doxa, like I think people don't know what to do with it. Like it, it's, right. um, I mean, this is something you know, uh, semi-related. Is that like whenever I, so I'm writing an article now that has to do a little bit with universality, and it's like, um, how do you write about it without coming off like a totalitarian? You know, like that's like kind of <laughs> like that's no, kind it's of a like big, a, it's a big question. I think it's right. a b- big, big thing. So anyway, so we'll get to and these. even the reference to Hegel as, as such is you know because he's a totalizing, not just universal thinker, but he. Has a, it's all about the whole system, and so that, yeah. that's inherently a problem, I think. Right, right, right. And that, again, things that, that push against the contemporary uh, philosophical and theoretical moment. So right. um, we're going to start with Hegel and Haiti and then play a little uh, counterpoint. I'm going to adopt the position of the skeptic, and this is going to be informed a little bit from a recent article that we'll talk about um, later in the podcast. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Todd, tell tell us about Hegel and Haiti. What's it? Right, here? so so this is a the thesis of Susan Buck Morse that actually the master so so the master study of dialectic in the phenomenology of spirit, probably the most famous section mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. the phenomenology, uh, was written in direct response to the struggles of the slaves in Haiti and mm-hmm. and their I guess you would call it recapitulation of the French Revolution or their taking up the flag of the universal emancipation uh, discovered in the French Revolution. So that's the that's the that's her starting point, and she she f- uncovers through her own research this this I, this fact that Hegel was had the journals that he subscribed to were covering this event closely, and Hegel in his own letters was very cognizant of it. So it's an mm. interesting point it's that... It's a nice bit of historicism. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. bit of historicism that actually she's able to see the way in which he's... This this thing that we think of as an abstract dialectic was actually tied to really concrete historical events and actually was his way 
she argues, and I think this is right, of taking the side of the slaves in that in that revolt. Mm-hmm. And he he himself really thought that the situation of Haiti, and even later when he, like, I don't know, 20 years later, when he's already kind of turned away from some of the ideas of, I guess he's never turned away from the ideas of phenomenology, but th- that, that notion of the master-slave dialectic is no longer so central for him. He mm-hmm. still comes back to Haiti as a model for, like, the democracy in Haiti as a model for political... Uh, like political structure. So it's, it's, I think it's interesting that it was very important for him. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. It's just like, it's, I I think one of the things about um, Hegel, because he is so hard to read, um, it seems like he couldn't, like nothing he wrote could possibly have referred to like a concrete historical or like actual things. Yeah. 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 yeah, That it's just, it's all, it's all up, up, up there and, and in the clouds and it's all hypothetical. But I, I I think to, and I mean, Susan Buck Morris does this in her, in in her book. Right. But like to, to bring the theory to that kind of concrete event, that's, that's not just like, well, if we think of, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an act of supposing, you know, we're like, yeah, sure. You could look at it and it seems uh, uh, like a totalitarian, but if then you look at Haiti, then it's totally fine. It's like, no, that's what he was thinking through. And the way, and I I think it's totally, what's, what's great about the analysis is it's actually like the result is consonant with how Hegel thought. Like for him, the, 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 like the pushing through, thought and like 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 getting to the idea right like 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 pushing through to to absolute knowing that's that's the most important thing it's not the like i'm gonna do like oh oh, because i'm in informed a little bit by this this concrete historical event i should talk about it i don't think he would have ever thought to right right even right even his critique of the Reign of Terror and the French Revolution never mentions the French Revolution. So it's, re- it's really interesting point. Yeah, it's yeah. really yeah. So there, there's really are no instances where he mentions the actual historical event in the phenomenology. Yet it's pretty clear. I mean, everyone accepts that he's referring to the French Revolution, where he, t- he talks. He says they they cut off heads like with no more care than cutting off a head of cabbage. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and it's clear that he's thinking about Robespierre and the Terror, but. Yeah, Buck Morse's point is: if you are cognizant of what is going on at the time, mm-hmm. it's equally clear that he's talking about the situation in Haiti when he's discussing the master-slave dialectic. So, mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. I think your point is really good that he never actually comes out and says, "Oh, this is the historical event I'm talking about," because his concern is, of course, the philosophical idea and how it mm-hmm. works itself out. And you know, for him, history would always be. Would, would always be too instantialized. Like it would always, it yeah. would always, if you, if you tied the idea totally to the historical event, then you're making it into, parti- into a particular exactly. and you're losing track of the universal. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the case with him that like to, to get mired in the particular, in the particular for Hegel would be to, uh, to like damn the ideas. It, right. And I, I think that's just, but that's not the way we, it's, it's interesting. This whole thing is like, um, it, well, we everybody in the West knows about the French Revolution. So the like, the, like cut off heads, like like cutting off heads, like cabbage. Like, oh, we get that. That's French Revolution. Right. Uh, I I don't think in uh, like I certainly in a history class in like uh, kindergarten through like high school we never learned about Haiti never. and the revolution. It never, never happened. So it's, it's even in college, like, I think or university. Like, do you ever hear? 
like Haiti never gets foregrounded in the way the American or French Revolution did. No, no, never. Yeah. And and so it's like so the, the you have two things kind of working against Hegel is that like this thing that I I think it, it like it's worth talking about race and why the the Haitian Revolution falls out of like like you know Western right. like like right of course you know right. right um but also it pretty much everybody is convinced on the, by the idea of like well if you look at something on a case by case basis that's the best way to go about things like 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 again a priori people are 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 convinced by the particular like in, like going into the concrete diving like down and forgetting like like wider concerns that's like the best way to perform some kind of academic analysis and hegel goes against like both of those things right, right, or, or, and, right. And, and 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 both those things work against him generalized knowledge of the haitian revolution in the contemporary world that goes against him and also the uh his you know like utter like distaste for the particular it just like also also works against them well because i i I think it makes sense like his point is if you don't if you're thinking only about the particular then there's no reason why looking at another historical event would mean anything to you yeah like the other historical events are like he even has this great line in the philosophy of history when he says you know we've never learned no one ever learns anything from events in history Hmm. like particular events in history. And then the, and people love to quote this, like right. whenever they say like, no one, we never learned from history. And it's like a lament. Right, right. And then they never quote the next line in which Hegel <laughs> says, and they're absolutely right not to learn anything because <laughs> particular <laughs> events don't teach us anything, right? Like yeah, they're, yeah. it's only when we're in touch with the universal that we really learn something. And I think it just makes sense. Like if you, if, if, if something is totally particular and doesn't touch on the universal, then it doesn't have anything to say to the rest of us. It's just totally concerned yeah. with that particular. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. And I, and I, I, I think that, um, I mean, it's fascinating that, like, e- even at the... It's, it's one of those things where, like, it'd be really easy to, to, to say that, like, oh, he's so far ahead of his time, but it's, like, actually... That that kind of analysis, like, is always out of time. It's I always guess. out of time, right, yeah, right. Because yeah. I think that even in his time historicism, I don't think it's just our contemporary malady. I think mm. it's, I think it's always there's a temptation to be historicist. And by that, I mean particularist mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the particular is what's closest at hand, right? It's what we know. It seems like, and it seems to be the thing that's of most concern to us. So I think, yeah. I think you're right to say that there's something eternal about that. I mean, of course, this is what people hate about Hegel, that he's an eternal thinker and a, you know, like, yeah. but, but I think there is some, I think you're right to say that there's something eternal or an atemporal maybe is a better yeah, word. Yeah, maybe that'd be the other way to put it. Yeah. About his, about this concern for, for the universal analysis that then, that, that sees the way in which the particular is only important insofar as it has something to, to tell us universally. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think that's, uh, like a really really important to, to to get out there that like so again so Buck Morris uh, the her book based on the article that that uh, caused um, a stir so um, how do we go from the concern with Haiti underpinning master slave dialectic to its support for a notion of universal history how do we get there right so her point is that Haiti itself was an example of, and her point is that Haiti itself is an example of the way universal history works mm-hmm. because their, the emancipation that they undertook was itself tied to universal, you know, the, the project of universal emancipation. So mm-hmm. for the, for, for 
Toussaint Louverture, the, the leader of the Haitian Revolution, the, the watchwords of the French Revolution were the same watch, like mm. liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mm-hmm. Like those were the same watchwords of the Haitian Revolution. So it's not like, oh, those are the French terms that we're going to borrow. Right. The point was, those are universal terms that we yeah. also take up and the French mm-hmm. take up. So that's Buck Morris's point, that it's not, that the universal isn't something first, it's not like the West, or it's not even like Haiti borrows it from France. It's not mm-hmm. like the West imposes it on Haiti. Her mm-hmm. point is, those values are are there that the French Revolution takes up, and then they can be taken up by whoever else, too, and that's what happens in Haiti. Yeah, and th- you know, it, like that is one of the things that makes like it makes it even more clear, uh, like Hegel's um, involvement in, in thinking through like Haiti is that he if if he has this very clear reference that everybody gets about the about um, the French Revolution, yeah. and then he knows what's going on in Haiti, then what he doesn't see, again, he doesn't see a particular event unfolding in another part of the world. He sees the continuation of a project that is announcing its universality to everybody. Right, uh, right. And like, I think it is... Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, 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 please. I just think it's absolutely important that that what you just said, that it announces its universality, that becomes even clearer in the case of Haiti, right? Because, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it no, you no longer can say those are just French values. They're no yeah. longer particular values because they can be taken up anywhere. Mm-hmm, and they're taken mm-hmm. up against the French, Right, right, like right. <laughs> the Haitian Revolution occurs against Napoleon and the French, and it, it's interesting. It's against the French betrayal mm-hmm. of their own revolutionary values when they allowed Napoleon to take to become emperor. You know, so it's. Yeah. I think Again, it's interesting. Totally, totally consonant. Like that would, of course, fascinated Hegel and would have, like, would have confirmed for him that the, the idea, the universality of the idea is much more important than the particular historical moment because right. people right. will fail to pay, uh, to put it in, in uh, Bajou terms, uh, they will pay, fail to pay fidelity to the event. Or they will, will fail to pay fidelity to the universe, universal idea. Right, and, this is why, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is why he doesn't care where the revolution takes place, like where the revolution takes place or where certain values get you know, worked out like his, he's absolutely not. And this is why I think it's really important to see his non, not even just non-racism, but his Mm -hmm. non-racialism. Like he just Mm -hmm. doesn't, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, that just does not a factor for him. It's not like he's, and I think the charge today would be that he considers himself post-racial, you know, colorblind, right. But Mm -hmm. it's actually, I think it's a little different than that because I think his point is that Okay, there there's certainly racism exists. I think he would accept that. But the point is that where like that the point is that that race does not over determine where the where certain values can be articulated or where universality can articulate itself. Okay, so I okay. think this makes makes a this makes a point of tradition uh, okay. tradition transition. Actually, that's a nice little slip. I think transition um, and tradition and yes. tradition. Yeah, uh, because we we have our sort of a mini mini tradition of uh, Hegelian skepticism. So recently, and I'm going to adopt the position of the article because I want to okay. make sure that we push the uh, the the idea uh, fairly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, recently, Ray Tarada um, published a piece about um, Hegel and his uh, racism. And right. th- I mean, this is like what, like a few weeks ago, or like a few month? weeks ago. I think I think it's in the journal Radical Philosophy, maybe. Okay. Or, well, yeah. We, yeah. And so her, um, if I, you know, I, I think I'm representing the article uh, 
fairly when I say what, what the concern that Tirada shows is that like um, Hegel is often a, a resource for people who want to think through radical politics, right? right. Guilty, totally us, right? right. Um, other people. And what she has a concern about is do some of the ideas that people import from Hegel, uh, if he himself is not, oh, I don't know what, pure of heart and vision. She right. wants to She wants to, to, to see, like, is there racism in Hegel, and does that leak into the supposedly radical idea, and does that stop the radical idea from actually be, like, actually changing things? Is there a conservative core to the, to the radical idea, and do we find this in sort of, like, the personal history and some uh, supporting documentation in Hegel, and is this a limit for thinking radical politics through Hegel. I think that, like, would you say that's the, that's the, no, that's a good summary of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. That's so that's, yeah. So that's the, that's totally the question. And you know what? It's funny. I, like I was asked, uh, so, you know, many, many, many episodes ago and like at the beginning of the show, uh, we did, we did an episode on, uh, the lack conference from like 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Long um, time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. And, um, I presented, a uh, I, my talk was on, uh, universality and Black Lives Matter, and I uh, talked through Hegel and, and Hegel's idea to sort of make my point. And afterwards, uh, somebody asked me the, like the exact same question: What do you do with the idea that Hegel was a racist, though? Was a racist, like, how right. how does that affect the, 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 your idea? And I think this is Tarada's uh, concern, and I think right. it's a worthwhile one going through. So, um, what's some of her? I would say this: What's some of her evidence? What's some of like the the flashpoints? Uh, yeah. that, that would be would be troublesome and then like how how would we how would we work through that I guess yeah that's a, that's good that's a good way to lay it out and I think it's it's interesting that you got that question too so yeah. it shows that that's even at the lack conference where people are sympathetic one would think to Hale yes and, yeah, right, right, yeah. right so that's 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 interesting um so first of all I think it's important to say that Hegel in no way was racist in the sense that he believed in different, that different races existed. So mm. he, he believed, even though he was, he's pre-Darwin and he was very mm. anti-evolution, mm-hmm. which is sort of interesting in itself. Um, <laughs> he, he believed that there was only one humanity. So there was, there's no sense like, like, I think when people talk about racism, that's one of the things like that, in order to be a racist, you have, and I think a lot of people think this without knowing that they think it, but I think in order to really be a racist, you have to believe there are multiple humanities, right? You have to, or that, sure. that racial difference really exists. Because yeah. if you don't think it really exists, then you can't be a racist. So that might mean, so someone might be a racist and they might think to themselves, well, I don't believe multiple races exist, but clearly they must, yeah. or else they couldn't harbor their racists attitudes, right? So, so that's the first thing. So, so can I, absolutely, can I, yeah, yeah, I sure. want to push on this. I want to push okay, on this. Okay, good, good. Um, would someone say uh, yeah. that that's getting Hegel off on a technicality? Well, I, okay, because why? Because like, I'm not be, sure like, how to take, well, I guess I would, so, okay, uh, this, this is, and again, I'm like trying, I'm trying yeah, to, yeah, sure, to, sure. to speak from this position, okay? Yeah. Um, would somebody say, uh, or, or like, would it be, would it be, uh, could you be on firm footing to say that, like, that that defense is that, like, okay, he didn't observe race, racial difference, therefore, um, and we're going to get to things that, like, he said about Africa, right? Yeah. Therefore, the things that he said about Africa are not racist. And I, I think I could very, very easily imagine someone saying that, like, that's a little, like, like he's... Um, 
oh, I don't know, like he's getting credit for being uh, post-racial but not being damned for the racism. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I, I got you. I got you. And in yeah. fact, I think that that, I'm just saying, I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to exculpate him for that, right, for right, the right. things that we're going to get to. I just mm-hmm. want to be clear that to the extent that he is racist, and I think there is some racism that he falls victim to, um, I think that it's not the kind of racism that believes in separate, ra- you know, that believes separate races exist. So I just wanted to lay that out. No, it's first interesting because that's a because di- no, 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 I see, I see the point because it's not like uh, it's it's like bringing Hegel into like contemporary attitudes and like he's actually. Uh, again, he's actually like against them in a certain way. So, so the, right, the, but also like people at his, during his time really believed that there were multiple. I mean, up through the mid nineteenth century, this was a dominant position. I think mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. there were real multiple races that had there was a genetic species difference between races of humanity. Right. Yeah, so, and I mean, and, and when he was alive, I think that you can even see this in, in the the OED. Like, I mean. Uh, People believe there was the English race, and right. the and you know the Irish race, the you know like right, right. So that right. was that was any. It was probably I I want to say like there were more there were maybe there were maybe more races then than there are now. Like if you right. know like like yeah. yeah. I, so yeah. in a, in a certain sense. So anyway, okay. So he, okay. So yeah, I just want to make that clear in the background. I'm not trying to exculpate him with that. Okay. So that's the mm-hmm. first thing. Second mm-hmm. thing is like okay. So he. So his one of the things that Tereda says is that mm-hmm. the basic Hegelian dialectic mm-hmm. is racist because I think I'm getting this right, and maybe you'll correct me because you, I think you've read the essay closer than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, that the basic Hegelian position is what you're overcoming dialectically mm-hmm. is the position he attributes to blackness and Africa, right? So okay. yeah, I think no, no, that's no, no. She, the, does, she does make that claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the so her point is. Even though, so it's very important to say that even though Hegel's objectionable statements in the philosophy of history, which we're going to get to about mm-hmm. race um, and Africa, come in the 1820s, and they they are nowhere evidenced in his early writings in the phenomenology or in the development of the science of logic. Her point is, actually, in order to even develop the phenomenology or to develop the logic, he had to already have these racist views because they're involved in the very movement of his mm-hmm. dialectical logic. So that, I think that's a very, I mean, that's a very strange way to think that racism contaminates, you know, working backwards because I think. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I see that. I see that. You know what I'm saying? That, like that at the time he yeah, wrote, yeah. he developed his thought and wrote the phenomenology, he, the, the position to be overcome was the position of mastery that mm-hmm. he attributes to Europe. Yeah, in the relation yeah. to Haiti. So yeah. so she's got it almost completely reversed because mm-hmm. as he's developing his logic, he sees that it's the precisely the position of white European mastery that's the one that has to be overcome because the slave, I mean, Alexander Kozhev famously says, Hegel shows that mastery is an existential impasse. And so mm-hmm. the whole point is that the European master, that's a dead end, Mm-hmm. And it's the revolt of the slave and the slave's revolution that moves history forward. So, okay, so that's... And again, so, if, if to, that's, you know, why we started with Buck Morris and Hagee. Uh, Hagee. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just combined Hegel and Haiti. Um, yeah, with, with, with Haiti, because it's, it's 
when you think of that, when you think of the dialectic or you, and, and, and you make the argument, and this is wor- really, really worth pointing out, um, for whatever reason, uh, Tarada does not cite Susan Buckmore's or work through that, um, the mitigating evidence that she presents in her work. That, I mean, it's like, you know, widely available and been out for, for, for a while. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the decision is for not, for not. Well, who she doesn't cite is fascinating. Right. It's, like, yeah, yeah. Like there's a footnote to Rebecca Comey and right. it seems like all of a certain other group of Figelians are the target. Buck Morse, maybe Malibu, yeah. Slavoy, probably certainly a few others of us. Well, but, it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm just going to interrupt to say that like the way the, the if I was going to try to make her um, that comment, the one that you just like work through to like she has this like uh, like reverse causality of Hegel's racism yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in his thought is you'd have to have, um, I think you can make that, the only way that claim works is if you have an idea of the unconscious and I don't know that she does endorse, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, right, I, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah that's you, right. You'd, have to, you'd, have to ha- you'd have to have the, you know, the, the psychoanalytic unconscious and say that like this, was, this is lurking, here's where I can show it in the phenomenology. And then that would, I think that would be the way that you would argue against Buck Morris. I think that's, that's the only way that you could stage that is, is to actually, and, but she pushes against Comey and the Lacanian Marxist, you know, Hegelian thing. So I don't think that, that she would endorse that position, but it's, it's one of the only ways that I think that you could make that work theoretically. Right, like a, a race, a racist unconscious at work in Hegel yeah. that then yeah. informs mm-hmm. even his most radical philosophical yes. insights. Right. Yes, right. absolutely. Okay. I think that, I think that's the way uh, that would be. Uh, if I was inclined to make that argument, that would be. I think that would be the way that you would do it. Right. Right. Okay. So let's get to the bad stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so it is true. So so in the philosophy of history, so it's an important thing, and I think it's very important to note that. Hegel did not write the philosophy of history until the 1820s, or he never, and of course he never even wrote it. It's just a oh, yeah, series right. of lectures he got, he gave, and that the only our only record of it is the record that his students took down the notes from his students. So mm-hmm. it's a little dicey as to what actually he really said and what he he really thought. So that's the that's I think the first qualification. But then. I do think, okay, it's, it's important to take stock of what he really said, and it's pretty, it sounds pretty terrible. So here's the first mm-hmm. one. So here's about Africa. Africa. Africa remains in its placid, unmotivated, self-enclosed sensuality and has not yet entered into history. Its only, uh, its only further connection with history is that in darker days, its inhabitants have been enslaved. So it's almost like he's saying the only thing that happened, the only historical event that ever happened to Africa is the enslaving of Africans, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's pretty bad. That's and pretty then he bad. goes on to say, yeah. uh, the Negro, so he's talking racially, but again, he doesn't think black is a separate race, white is a separate race. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, the Negroes display great strength of body and a highly sensual nature, all mm-hmm. great stereotypes, mm-hmm. along right, with affability. Yeah. He's, he's catching them all. Oh, along oh. with affability, but also a shocking and un, in, inconceivable ferocity. So he's, he's oh, got God. every kind of racist yeah, stereotype. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's perfect. Okay. Um, all right. So what's going on? So I think that's he should have said, You know what he said? He should have said the uh, black quarterback has good instincts. And, <laughs> you know, he should have just done that. <laughs> he should have gone all whole hog. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. um, it's that's pretty the only, bad. The only one he missed, right? Like it's the only one he missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so what's happening? I think it's interesting that, and Buck Morris makes this amazing point where she says, you know, if Hegel would have 
not known and not kept up his reading, uh, mm-hmm. he would have like he was his earlier thought was non-racist because mm-hmm. he was not he had not read what scholars were saying about Africa. So mm-hmm. here's here's this fascinating line. She says, "What is clear is that in." In an effort to become more erudite in African studies during the 1820s, Hegel was in fact becoming dumber. Yeah, really nice. That's it's an interesting nice. point that yeah. that, and it's because, which is, I think makes total sense, that the all the scholarship on Africa was just wholeheartedly yep. racist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when he started to read up on Africa, mm-hmm. he then took on the racist ideas that he was reading from the, the scholars that he was, that were studying Africa. So it's a fascinating that, kind of, that's, that's, a, that's really great. And you know, that, that makes such a, a, a fascinating connection back to like our, the last episodes we did about Freud and like in, I mean, this is, this is my claim, uh, that like in the attempt to make, uh, psychoanalysis seem more objective and more of a science, like it, the, the appeals to, to biology, and some of right, it, right. you know, some of, some of it works, I think, for when he writes about the drive. But I mean, some of it is like he, he his notion of of the the body and uh, and women like coming from like the, the biology and the science of the time, I think I think makes what he's talking about worse. And I think it pushes him farther away from actual psychoanalysis. It's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like I, I wonder how often this happens that yeah. the effort to become more broadly, think more broadly, mm. ends up. It's a, and I think it's, it's it's all about the way in which one's own particular historical epoch has its own prejudices written into it that are invisible to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what. Hey. Like like this. Like why would the sociological scholars on Africa of the time? be so misguided it's because they're they've imbibed the prejudices of the time right and they're just yeah. they're just rehearsing them whereas i think isn't there something about like a, the, the the effort of generating a theory like freud or hegel does that then that mm-hmm. kind of it doesn't in, immunize you to the prejudices of the time but it kind of cuts it mm. undercuts them. It it cuts against them. It 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 it's. And I think your term you used is a like that atemporal yeah. sense of them. I think it makes you. I don't know that you don't. You're not. You don't succumb to them, but you 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 not like they don't seem to have weighted over you or something. I think yeah. there's something at work there. Well, you, I I think that it's um, you know, I, like yes, the, okay, Hegel, fam- famously hard to read, lived long long time ago. Uh, right. Freud tried to make himself very clear. Was thinking lots of things. Lived a long time ago. Uh, like we can't, you can't think of them as um, as as not human beings in the sense that I, that I'm going to say that. Like when, I mean, I I feel this way uh, uh, too. That like when you work for so long in a, a a thread of thought that is not general or validated by the outside, you have to really be sustained by that like avant-garde like like risk breaker rule breaker sensibility to never say to yourself do i maybe have some of this wrong do i should i maybe see what other people are saying maybe this will help me this will be better i should just you know that'll that'll it'll strengthen right. my my thought I'll, I'll go see what other people are saying and then like that's you know that's very easy for me to imagine that like that i mean it sounds like that's what Morris is saying, like, like happened to, to Hegel, like quite literally. Right. Like he, right, he right. decided, 
that uh, he didn't know enough. And so he went to the best available resources and then he he failed his own thinking, actually. Like it's, it's right. Where, right. Where, and I think it's yeah, I think yeah. that's the important lesson from those yeah. statements that are horrific is that. They, but they are the sign, and I think you say this all the time about Freud, like they're the sign in Hegel of his betrayal of his own dialectical yeah. thought, right? Like that's yeah. absolutely true. And, and they're also about the betrayal of the universal because this notion that somehow Africa is not part of universal history, that's itself a betrayal. Like that's, yeah. how, why yeah. would that be? I mean, that mm-hmm. just can't be. And, it, and he should have, and, and this is, I think, this is where I think the saying he read the wrong people, there's no excuse, because he should have seen that if they're saying to him that Africa is not part of universal history, then they're probably not, they're probably missing something that's really going on there. Yeah. So this is the, so, okay, so here's the, um, and th- this is not like a, like a hot take response to Ray Tirada's searing indictment of, hey, yeah. you know, it's like, that's, yeah. that's not what this is, but it's like, so we kind of come to this is what this is what I said to the person after I gave my 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 lack talk and I think this is like this is what we're getting to now and this is what we'd say is that like yeah okay he was and he did he did he said these things like you know and his students wrote them down but let's just say that you know whatever but he did he went he looked at uh, sociology texts and, and he started to like uh, he imbibed the culture and like right. it convinced him to um, to move to a position that is less than Hegelian, you know, right. and, and that's, that's the thing is that like, what do you do with the idea? How do you marry the idea of universality with the idea that Hegel was a racist? You say like, okay, this is where he, he failed his thought, or you could put it the other way where the earlier idea exceeded him right? and he couldn't live up to it for, right, 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 for the rest right. of his life. And that doesn't change that idea. And I think that's kind of the, that's sort of the thing is that, um, like I like, so I appreciate the project to, to be like, you know, let's, let's like really excavate, uh, like someone who people think is a radical thinker. And like, maybe there's like conservatism here. We got to make sure that we have that out and maybe we're using these ideas and there's like, there, there's an objectionable core to it that we're not like really wise to. But I, so that, that makes the thought less than the thinker. Uh, and I think, I mean, we want to argue against that and like, and, and the opposite and that, uh, it, it doesn't, I don't want to say that, like, I, I don't want to say that, like that, that, um, you know, identity or like, you know, personal failings, like, like don't matter, but it's like, if what the stated purpose, I mean, the stated purpose of, uh, of, of Tirada's article is about like radical ideas and then what her whole argument is about is how he was not a radical person and so there's right a right it's a strange a to- thing a yeah it's a strange there. thing it's strange yeah. yeah it's strange i think you're right i really like this idea that the thought exceeds the person and the person doesn't live up to the thought but yeah. i guess isn't her point i think i so let, i think that's a really important point i think we should stress that and maybe we can come back to it but isn't her mm-hmm. point even more that this thing infects the thought mm, mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. the beginning yeah, and you can't then abstract the thought from it. And I think yeah. that, I think we have to be clear that that's just wrong. Like there, because there is no point in Hegel's like the, if you want to look at his, the way he develops the dialectic, not only does he not mention 
Africa or blackness or race, but he doesn't even, like the position that you would attribute to what he's endorsing is precisely mm-hmm. the anti-racist position. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's not at all, I think even like the, if you grant her the best of intentions that she's saying like the, okay, I, I'm not necessarily indicting the man. I want to see the way in which the mm-hmm. thought is infected. I think yeah. it's pretty clear that that's just not correct. And it's funny how, you know, the, the, the links to like, she, it's not a very, it doesn't, it's a kind of like, um, I don't know how to say it, like, it's like she's sort of throwing it out there because mm-hmm. there's not a careful reading of the logic or of the phenomenology that shows yeah. how racism is actually written into those, the development of that dialectical thought. No, it's, it's, it's more like she, the way that the, the article is set up is that she cites people who cite Hegel, I think Paul Gilroy, right? Like, like a Hegelian idea. Paul right. Gilroy, right. And, and, and sort of moves to show that like, maybe this isn't like, this is, this is not, maybe this is not the way we want to go. If we want to think of like a, a, a radical uh, politics uh, that's a, against post-racialism or against um or, or just uh something that is anti-racist like maybe we don't we don't want to go th- and then so she shows like that hegel has these these views and then i think you're right as maybe it does rest on the assertion that th- that it would infect the thought but like again i, I think I, I, my my suggestion would be that like if that's the claim then you have to show the like that unconscious thing like back right back right or or and, like and, actually and, yeah. Yeah, I would. No, I think okay. that's right. Show the unconscious. Yeah, I think what you're saying is right. Or couldn't you show the way in which, if you an- analyze the way the structure of the phenomenology or the structure of the logic is written, that that a kind of the same thing at work in racism is at work in yeah that movement. Like you would have mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. like, what is the fundamental logic of racism? Is it like you'd have to say what you think it is? Like, is it fetishistic disavow? probably right probably Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or is it repression what do do you think it is and then is that thing at work in the in the structure of his logic or his phenomenology yeah no i i think yeah i think that's the way that you you would have to you'd have to make that argument Uh, and it's 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 interesting like like even in it's really funny because even if you did that i think again something we kind of said in the previous episodes if that was your analysis and you went through it in that method, is that not absolutely the Hegelian knowledge? analysis? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and because like if, if you move through to like to, to show where all the infections and limitations are in, in Hegelian thought because of this, um, this latter day announced racism should alert us to an earlier uh, position. Right. I think that that's sort of like Toronto's right, claim right, right, that right. you then, then, from that, you got to move through and show what the again what what the limitations where where does he where does it seem like he's butting up against a philosophical problem, but actually he's butting up against a, a racial and racist problem. And right, right. In the in effect of of doing that, I, I think that you are performing a Hegelian like you're performing a dialectical analysis. Analysis. You're you're moving to uh, to absolute knowledge. So like it's which validates the idea i think that the think the thought exceeds the the thinker and i and i and i and i think that that uh, to me i could understand why someone might say that that forgives the thinker i don't think that it does i, I, I don't think it does me, I, 
I think yeah, it's damning, especially someone, as we talked about, especially someone who thinks the universality of ideas is the most important part and not the concrete. Like to, to say that he failed that, I think that that would be the that'd be the worst thing that you could say to Hegel. I, I, I agree. To me. Yeah. I think that's the key thing that I think the other thing that we should add in this analysis of Hegel and racism is it's a pretty damning indictment of him. Yeah. For his failure to see the way in which those that attitude towards Africa is itself a victim of the, or a, a species of his particular epoch. Yeah. And yeah. not and there, well, there's fell, nothing victim you know, to particularity. Like right, right, you know right, toward right, the right. toward the end of yeah. it, like like you know it seems yeah. what an easy thing to avoid you would think but yeah. For the thinker of the universal. Exactly. I mean it's like yeah. it's it's yeah. a it, right. So I think you're right that in a certain way because of who Hegel is, we should be all the more unforgiving mm-hmm. about Hegel the person mm-hmm. for that for that that misstep. I think right, and I think, but I think again that doesn't indict the thought at all, really. Mm-hmm. But I also think I wanted to just touch on another thing where I think right. Hegel's thought is actually supremely anti-racist. This idea mm-hmm. that his dial that notion, and it's interesting that Fanon, who's maybe yeah. the greatest anti-racist thinker in human history. Uh, I don't know. That's big. just maybe uh, that's too big, big, big claim. Big yes, claim. Yes. Big claim but uh, one of them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah for Is sure. Hegelian. He's yeah, Hegelian, yeah. right? Yeah. And his, and I think it's because Hegel's, the, the very, the under, Hegel's very way of understanding dialectics is I, under, I gain my identity only when I discover myself in absolute otherness. Right. Mm-hmm. So that isn't that the ultimate anti-racist position, right? Like yeah. that, like the racist wants to say, I have my identity, like Carl Schmidt, like I have my identity by maintaining an absolute line between myself and otherness. Like mm-hmm. that's what racism allows me to sustain. Mm-hmm. But Hegel's point is, no, you gain your identity only when you realize that it's you find yourself only in this absolute alienation of the other. And so I think there's something really beautifully anti-racist about the very structure of his dialectical thought. And I think that's what Fanon found attractive in him. Yeah. It's interesting to, 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 um, to bring in like, uh, so we, you know, we've talked about the field sisters a lot and you can't say enough about the, the book racecraft. Um, and, they one of their great by the um, way we should be we should get a little bit of their royalty i think for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of weird. uh for talking about it so much yeah 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 uh, i so mean i talk I, about it all the time too not even on the podcast but anyway go ahead. i think i also i should get um yeah. simpsons money or for <laughs> any 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 obscure reference money i should be getting yeah. that as well um but the what one of their their great formulations about um about racism is that it's a uh it's an act and a justification for it at the same time. Right. And you right. would expect Hegel to have read that. Cause they talk about like, so, like science of the, of the 1820s and, and in that era, which tried to find distinct differences between races and it just kind of made shit up. Like they, they just, they work, they work through it um, early in the book. And then, you know, in, in other, in other chapters, and the idea, so this idea that racism is an action and a justification for it is, is like, it's crystallized in that phrase, black Southerners were segregated because of their skin color, where it's right, like, oh, right, well, that's right. of course why they did it. You know, they, right. the, that's why the racists did it, because they're racist. And it's, and uh, it's, I would, 
you would have thought again, like that to me is um, a universalist like idea from from the fields, and you would just think that the thinker of universalism would would have seen that in the the the, the literature of the time on Africa. Well, and, it's interesting and, because yeah. he did, in a sense, in his like he's very critical. It's funny because he's very critical of precisely that science. So, yeah, one of the most famous sections of the phenomenology is a demolition of phrenology yes, for right. its attempt to, you know, to, to think about spirit in terms of bodily difference and but like yeah. the structure, different structures of the head. And phrenology, I mean, I think it's interesting that Buck Morse does what she does with Master Slave, and I totally follow her thinking on that. But I think mm-hmm. you almost could make the point that his real anti-racist gesture in phenomenology is the, the discussion of phrenology. Right, like that was. Yeah, isn't phrenology the racist science par excellence? Like it's the one that yeah. because because it tries to root racial difference in the very nature of the of the shape of the of the brain, and so it's, I it's think a physiognomy, right? Like right, as, as right, well, right, 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 yeah. right. The yeah. the what is it? The uh, the Miller in uh, Chaucer. He's he's right. he's got a, he's got a mole. He's got a red hair coming out of a mole. So he's a bad right, guy. Right, right, yeah. right, right. 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 Yeah. So I think that that, I mean, so it's interesting because on the one hand, he really is aware mm-hmm. of that and onto it and, and, and demolishing it. But mm-hmm. I think you're right that he just, he should have gotten it in, he got it in the sciences, but he didn't get it in the, in the, I don't know, it's, it's like, it's like too soon to call it sociology, but this kind of pre-sociological accounts mm-hmm. of, I mean, I guess that's probably the part of the point. It's too soon to call it sociology. So they're just like travel accounts of Africa, right? Yeah. So they're not even... It's not even like they're necessarily very scholarly accounts of what's going on in Africa. Yeah, but he so. but he gave credence to it like a priori. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and that that I think that's the thing that I think that's the thing that's that's troubling. So like you know, again, like this is like it's um I, I think that what I I don't know, I think that, that our like our analysis thing here is that like yes here's where he was racist. Like, like race rod has got that completely, but like you can, um, be and this, this is sort of, I guess, sort of the weakness at the, at the end of her, um, at the end of this, this recent essay is that like, she doesn't designate like a move forward. It seems like, cause it, it's also like hedging on the total rejection also. Right. I, I, right. I like, I think it would be, I would find it more interesting if she would say, and now we shouldn't even read Hegel at all. Right. Like, yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah. It'd be more interesting. Yeah. So, so, but this is the, so what we, I think have tried to offer is that like, this is like, yes, totally. But we move, we move for, forward by going through Hegel and, and, and that, and, and that way, that's how you, you damn him. And you actually, I think, I think this would be our claim is that like you, you find, you find the, the radical position by seeing how the man um, fell victim to the, uh, to the conservative views of the time. And right, then he right. stopped. He demonstrably stopped being the same thinker, and and that 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 alone is like I, I don't know to me like the, like that that alone is like is enough uh, is like proof of the early the the early day uh, radicality. It's like it's like um sometimes people say this about like late work is where people like where they where they fly like like right. and, and they and the thinker like exceeds their like earlier stuff. And I think with Hegel it's the opposite. Well, uh, that's the I don't. You think so? I, well, I mean, I, I, I yeah, do think the, it is. Yeah. I think, I mean, look, in one sense it's true because yeah. he wrote, like, by 
1813, he had written his two major works, and that's that, right? Like yeah. that's so. So the rest is just kind of filling in the blanks. So I think that's true. But I, I guess I'm, I, I, I do think that like okay, the, the, the philosophy of history is really is 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 a problem for what he says about Africa. But I do think there are other things that he comes to, like his discussion of art his discussion of religion, I think it's pretty great later on. So I'm not sure that I would, I just think, look. Do you think, I think, I, do you you think can, I'm liking the first album too much? Do you think I, I think you're, <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of think that, right. And I think it's yeah. a it's a common position. Like it's yeah. a position of Lukács, he wrote the young Hegel and he really says like the young, and Marcuse thought this, the young radical Hegel against the old conservative Hegel. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of think that's not exactly right, but I, I just think it's on this, I just, I almost think the only error was to believe what he was reading and then be seduced by it. Yeah. But I don't think it even, I don't think even later it infected his thought. I don't think he became conservative. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think even in philosophy of right, he's, and you know, a lot of his later stands that he took were really radical leftist stands. So I'm not sure that I would say that there's this kind of trajectory from, you know, young radical to late conservative. But I do take your point that, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, there's not a line of development in a thinker, and the thinker has certain peaks and valleys, and you never know when those could be, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. you could have, Ryan, even you, you could have had your best idea when you had the idea of seriality, and it could all be downhill from there. It and could like, be, yeah, yeah, it pro- probably will be. I, I don't almost, know, but I just think that you never <laughs> know. Yeah, you never know, right? Like, it could be anywhere, and I don't think there's this notion we have that we're always getting better, and I think that's wrong. Yeah, yeah but I we're do always, think always on an upward trajectory. Right? Always that's on a trajectory, right, yeah, right, yeah. right? But I think it's I think it's I don't think it's fair to say Hegel, young, like young non-racist radical, old racist conservative. I just don't think that's I don't I don't think that's right. I think that there's something. I think there's a lot. I think the same structure of thought is present in the later Hegel. There's just that's just when he gets seduced by this particularism of his time. What would you want gives, to redeem from the later Hegel, like specifically? Oh my God. I mean, I think I would redeem, especially the politics. Like I think mm-hmm. philosophy of right, I think is his way to think of a uh, political structure where contradiction has a place mm. and, and, and yet the structure is stable. Like I think that, I mean, he gives the place to the monarch, right? Like the monarch is the site of contradiction. And I think, yeah. okay, you're going to say like, oh wow, that's crazy. That can't the figure of the monarch can't be the radical Hegel. But I think in a way it, it is because I, I mean I don't I'm not for monarchy. Don't get me wrong, but I do think I do think like that. No, we have to come up with a political structure that has a place for absolute contradiction, mm-hmm. or else we get fascist explosions. So I do yeah. think. I think there's something real, and I think the philosophy, the aesthetics, isn't is amazing. Sure. Like I think yeah, that there's yeah, something right. he really gets about the way the work of art, that the, the absolute work of art captures both um, the infinite. It brings together the infinite and the finite, and I think mm. that's I don't I think that's just an unparalleled recognition to what art can do. So, so I don't know. So I think well, I, I, the reason I asked the question is that yeah, yeah. Um, is that because again, like Tarada's essay, it like rests uh, like a lot of uh, the um, argument rests on the idea that like this this latter day racism infects the like the thought like um, in you know as such you know like in general yeah. like and throughout. Yeah. Um, would you say that those are like those are 
examples of like Hegelian thinking that like d- display no, um, I don't want to say like like hint of racism, but just like they just they're like totally out of like those concerns. So like this would be something that you could say like 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 where where would you where could you find the racism in those ideas? Like it, no, I don't think you could. I mean, I think yeah. they're in fact, I think they're anti-racist ideas. I mean, I yeah. think that's the point. Like, I think you know the notion. I mean, even the notion that contra- like we have to reconcile ourselves with contradiction is, I think, yeah. an anti-racist idea because racism depends upon the translation of contradiction into opposition. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that. Yeah. You know, that if you don't, like, the whole point, the structure of the racist thinking is I, I confront this internal contradiction. What do I do? I turn it into an opposition between right. myself, who's pure, and the impure yes. other, who's external. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can be, I don't think you can say dialectics is, I think dialectics is inherently anti-racist. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean... I, I think Toreda would really not like that statement, but, but um, I would say it if she was in the room with me. I mean, I think it's really, I think it's absolutely true that there's some, because of the way in which dialectics relates to contradiction and the, hence to the other. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, I mean, racism just has to have the absolute dividing line. Yeah. I don't understand how you could think it otherwise. Like, could you, maybe you can think of it just off the cuff right now. Can you think of a dialectical racism? Uh, I could only think, I mean, I could only think of it in terms of synthesis, right? Only in terms of... Okay, but that's not Hegel, right? I understand. No, no, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, No. Yeah, the the only way you could do it would be to, like... Like the black position is to be overcome. Yeah, or like like this this bad idea, like, well, there's this, and then there's... And we bring them together, and we see that... All black people fill in the blank, right? Like that's right. The, well, know, that's that, I, yeah. I, I, don't you think like what what is called post racialism is mm-hmm. precisely this Hegelian pseudo Hegelian notion of synthesis? That's interesting. Yeah, that's really really interesting. That's and that's I think a, a pretty that might be a fascinating response to. I think that's what she's actually attacking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, you yeah, think? Like, I think yeah. she's trying to say that all these people like there's. I think she's attacking post-racialism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is, should and be attacked. Should be attacked. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And she's seeing the way in which a kind of, it operates in a kind of Hegelian synthesis. Yeah. Which, but of course, we uh, about before, you should never say those two words together. Hegelian yeah. synthesis. Yeah. 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 Oh man. That's interesting. I think that, that makes, I mean, that's to me that that's one of those ideas that snaps into focus like that, like, the like the assumption or the, the undergirding to the entire uh her like her entire approach like and and I think that I think you have to say like yes I totally agree we should we should reject this but we should reject this understanding of Hegel and like if you if I think that that's that that's really interesting if you that this is again another example of if you think of Hegel as a, a philosopher of synthesis then it is objectionable and it, for this for these reasons um, right. if you right. miss the contradictory core and you move away from the universality, which again, it would have been, it would have been interesting to see her like ha- argue against Buck, Buck Morris and the importance of universal history and universality and, and, and Hegel's thought, but it, that doesn't come up with the article for whatever reason. Um, well, yeah, no, no, you go ahead. God, I was just going to say like, I don't, I, I, I've yet to encounter an argument against universality that wasn't in sel- itself implicitly universalist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, how do you? Do, I just don't know how you would do it. Like, what would you say? Like, 
we should, how would you say it? We should always consider the particular in the face of the, but okay, once you say always, you say you've always already given up the game, game. right, right. Like yeah, I, yeah, so I don't yeah. know how it's done, frankly. Like I don't know, and I almost am not sure what, how you can make even an argument without some implicit reference to the universal. I think it involves, I think the rejection of universality um, relies on disavowal of its function in the particular. Right, 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 right. I think, I, which I is, think, yeah, I think yeah, that's which is interesting because Hegel is the philosopher. I mean, his whole, the whole effort of chapter one of the phenomenology on sense certainty is an effort to say, whenever you start to talk, you're yeah. always invoking the universal. And yeah. so, you know, there's, I think that again, that's probably what makes him objectionable. And he's, that's why he serves as this kind of bogey for people who, who think, who, I think the, the problem is that I think there's an equation of universalist thinking with racist thinking. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, um, this is a thing that, that I, um, I am going to give credit where credit's due. Um, Kara has given me the, this word that, that I'm going to use. And I think it, 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 uh, nicely designates what I think other people hear when they hear universality is they yeah. hear flattening. Flattening. And I think okay. that's what people hear that like it's, it become, it's just, it's like, Oh, it's all one thing. Like it's, it's, and, and what is that one thing? Well, it's the dominance of the West and empire. We like, like that's, I think what people hear when they hear u- universality because it's, it doesn't seem to allow for difference when I think th- that, of course it does uh, to me, I, I think is that like that, that's the idea the pr- of, you know, as we've, as I've said before, the particular that changes all particulars, right. right, right as right. as universality is it's like, and I think that this is, um, uh, like what, what Hegel saw in Haiti, like according to, to Buck Morris, right. Is that like, it wasn't the French revolution again, right. It was the like, right. The, right. Like, you, you know, like it was the, uh, you know, Liberty, uh, uh I'm not going to do the equality, equality fraternity. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, because Kislowski said it. So then that's why there was the French revolution. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, those ideas, um, that's the, that's the universal. And then everything else was different. <laughs> like it's, it, it, and it was even, right. and it was against the French as we pointed out. So that's, right. Right. And, and I think that's hard to hold at the same time is the like this this universality that like uh, allows for for difference because people all like it, it it's i mean I, I like i see this in like uh or i have seen this in in classrooms before that like if if you say something is just like um uh or you know what, i'll start this another way is that okay. a students um when making certain arguments are like it, uh they'll, they'll they'll like to say like oh well uh, this thing is different and we can't really say much about like the form in general because they're just different approaches to it. And, and, and anyone can say like a different thing about something. So there's like really nothing. And I think that's just like a, such an idea that's out there. And uh, like my, my, my response, like, like g- gently is just like, well, then you're kind of saying nothing then. Like if just, mm-hmm. if everybody can approach something differently and, and, and all art is subjective and then there's nothing, there's like, then it can mean whatever you want. Then like then nothing means anything ever. And, right. and I, and I think that that's sort of the, that's the total danger of the, like the headlong like dive into particularity and the turn away from this notion of like this universality that of course allows for difference. So Right. And I also think, don't you think that, the only real, like, I, I think that it, for some reason we've got it backwards that 
universality is racist and particularism yeah. is anti-racist when I think it's absolutely the reverse, that the only real anti-racism has to be universalist because yeah. it's saying, look, racial... Like, it's not racial disavowing... Racial doesn't exist, right? It doesn't like exist, right? Yeah. It's not disavowing yeah. it, mm -hmm. but it's saying it doesn't really exist. And the, you're, you're invoking it precisely in order to create a barrier between your identity and the, and the identity of the other, right? I think that's the, yeah. the key well, thing. Well, it's like people... I think this is, the, this is the thing, is that like in, in that example, which I think is a really good one, and uh, is that, oh, well, if you... If we have something that says that like there's a common, then you're saying that everyone's the same and you are erasing like what makes someone like unique or whatever. And I, and right. it's just like, no, it doesn't do that at all. And that's why, that's why I think flattening is the, like, I, I think is like the good, like that's what, that's what people think is that cause you don't want to say like, Oh, we're all the same. Cause that's right. not, right. Right. that's right. not, right. you know what I mean? Right. Like that, that's the like whatever nouveau hippie wisdom that's like also wrong. And that's, that is flattening. Right. Right. That's right. not universalist because it doesn't, it doesn't like designate like, no, it's, you know, uh, liberty, equality, fraternity. And then after that, like, you know, whatever. Um, it, anyway, that's, I, I think that's. No, I think that's really good. I think it's true that, and I think it's interesting the way in which Hegel provides a way of thinking, and I think this is this is even further attest to Hegelian dialectics as a fundamentally anti-racist philosophy, because I think he provides a way of thinking universality without as universality not as the elimination of singularity, mm -hmm. but as the key to the uncovering of singularity. Right, yeah. like that's his. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the whole point. That it's only by going through the universal that you discover the singular because the universal allows you to get... So I think his idea is that the universal allows you to get this distance from the own, your own particularity that you're born into. Yeah. And it's then in how you take up the distance from mm. your own particularity that you become singular. And mm. I think that, yeah, to me, yeah. that's a really... I think that's a kind of nice way of thinking about subjectivity and about the relationship mm. between universal and particular and about the way... I, my singularity as a subject gets defined. Yeah. You know? No, I, yeah, I, I, no, I think that's a, that's a, it's a lovely point. And I, and it's again, like that, that's the thing that I think people want to, um, to hold on to. And it just seems that like, uh, the way, I mean, this is sort of like the, um, like, again, this is the, the point in, in, in race craft is that like, if you are going about, um, your, purportedly anti-racist project in a way that upholds like clear lines of racial difference, then you are doing the work of the, the racist for them. And you, you know, you're allowing them to take up that, that position and what's harder to, to think through, but more urgent maybe, uh, than, than, than ever is the, like is looking for, um, universality and understanding it's not, it does not eliminate the singular, that like right, it, right, it, right, it, right. it allows for it. Um, right. It doesn't even eliminate the particular. I mean, no, I think it, it does, either. it yeah, does, yeah, but yeah. it does give you distance from the particular. And I yeah. think that's, I think, I don't know, maybe you're just, you're just subjected to it. Right. You're just subjected endless, to it. Yeah. Inf inf yeah, yeah infinite, right. Right. Like you're stuck in your own, in your own, this particularity that you were given that you aren't choosing. I mean, it, yeah, I that's think that's the tribal true. thing, right? Like that right, often right, comes right, up in right, discussions right. of race. That's all tribalism, right? right? It's all, all tribalism. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, that very way of framing it 
is this anti-Hegelian way, but also I think very racist way of framing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. So I think that there's, I think, I don't know, maybe we've, uh, I don't know. Do you, I, I, I sort of feel like Hegel provides, I, I do think it's important to say, look, there are these clearly racist elements that get articulated in the philosophy of history. I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely essential to say and and to uncover why they exist and what's mm-hmm. at stake in them. But then I do think it's fair to say that Hegel's philosophy is a fundamentally anti-racist philosophy. And so my verdict would be, I don't know what you think about this, almost the opposite of Tereda's. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that it's stained at the beginning, it's that his racism mm-hmm. is in fact undermined from the beginning by his own thought. Yeah, that, no, th- uh, yes, sorry, keep going, but yes. No, go, that's all I was going to say, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think, I, no, I think that's the, I think that's the point, is, is that, like, you, like, in accepting the, um, in accepting the premise of, of, of Hegel's uh, racism, that, like, it, uh, I think it allows you to, as we, you know, pointed out earlier, you, to, to find the moments where he was uh, more than, his later position and that I don't like, I, we haven't said this the whole time because like, this is important. It's not like, well, this is the real Hegel. And then the parts that we don't like are the bad Hegel and you don't do it. It's like, no, there's just one Hegel and he failed his own thought. And that's the, like he would consider that to be the worst thing you could say about him. But I, and I think that it's like, it's just true. I think that, you know, you know, Tarada proves it. And I think we've shown it. Morse shows it as well. Um, so, um, do you think, yeah. do you think, I have a question for you. Do you think anybody ever is true to their thought? That's such a good question. I, my, my instinct is to say no. Yeah. That's what um, I thought you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. No, yeah. I think that's probably right, but yeah. it's, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I mean, I'm trying I mean, to think, yeah. I, I don't think Freud was. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just went over that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Last yeah. Episode. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that's interesting. I mean. There's, there's certainly like, um, you could certainly say that there were like philosophers that stayed consistent throughout, but, um, that is maybe not the enviable position. I think maybe it's more interesting when you feel like I, like I always, you know, like I've (laughs) talked about before that the, 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 like the Foucault that I like is when I think he thinks he's maybe wrong and that he needs to have a radical act and that would cut against pretty much everything else that he said about the way power works. Yeah. And that like comes that. out in that's how it comes out in courage of truth. Now he says somewhere, I think this is before that, that lecture series. He, um, he, I think he maybe says something like hermeneutics of the subject or, or, or something where, um, or maybe it's in an interview where where he's asked if he's changed his position on something. I forget what this is. Oh no, this is in ethics, subjectivity, and truth. I think that's like a yeah, collection yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and he's asked in an interview if like um, he's going back on things later, and he says no. Actually, this was actually just there in the beginning. And then he goes on to answer, and it's a little bit like when Lacan will always find something in the mirror stage essay that was <laughs> that he's just th- thought about later, and it's yeah. sort of like, like I can see why the you formulas of sexuation they're really right there in the mirror stage. I just yeah, uh, I just, just didn't really fully work that. I out, just didn't. Pro- yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or like the thing I love the um, 
I think my favorite one is when he says that, like, well, the child looks back, the tottering child looks back at the the adult for the validation, which is like the the look for the big other, and it's like, yeah, I, I get how you could say that in the anxiety seminar, and I, I can see how that's kind of there, but it's like it's also kind of not there, and it's okay, you know, it's right. it's, it's, right. it's okay to right. have had thought that developed, like you don't. So anyway, um, I I, I and and so for me that that's my answer is that like the. When you think no, you think everyone is unequal to their thought, but that's and good. That's a virtue. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, because I think it, yeah. you're right. It would be there's something kind of catastrophic if you if you were true so to your thought thing. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you're um, true to it, yeah. you know, like yeah, it okay. is. Yeah. It is your failure to be adequate to your thought that really. That's why you define yourself. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I think so. I mean, like it's it's a. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I wonder if this is a, like, if you could, like, does, could you expand this premise out to like directors, novelists, poets? Like, I, I know. know. No, it's more interesting. It is, it is a, it's a fascinating way to think about it altogether. Right. Like, or to think about it in people that are actual historical actors. Like, yeah. Like was Robespierre, oh, yeah. did, you know, did he, you know, cause he doesn't have really an art, articulated philosophy so was mm-hmm. he himself but i think you could even do it with them right you could even say like well there's this core idea yeah. that they were not able to sustain throughout you know i think that's mm-hmm. i think our whole existence is about having some core idea that we aren't really able to fully just, live yeah like live it's, out. it's too big well that's what i think that is the thing about the universal is that it's like it's demanding and right. and yeah. that our um like our, our failure, like, you know, I mean, like the French revolution, perfect example, like the actually, like it's the failure to, to pay fidelity to liberty, equality, fraternity, like that. That leads to the terror. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I, I, it's, it's, um, it requires, it requires a lot of like, like consistent, um, theoretical and, and, and subjective investment. And I think that, uh, the task is to, not not fail, but to be more aware of when you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, good. I think I agree with that, that there's something like recognizing the failure rather than interpreting the failure as a success mm-hmm. is maybe the first is a big step. <laughs> well, it's right. like, you know, it's like, what is it? Uh, Aristotle, right? Uh, or uh, anagnoresis, right? The, uh, the tragic the hero recognizing, oh, this was all my fault. You right, know, like right, you need to, right. you have to have that, that right, moment. Right, like, yeah, right. I, I did so all this. Yeah. Tragic recognition. That's yeah. The, but I think the lesson is read Susan Buck Morris because that's a oh, good, totally. it's a book and it's a, it's a good little book and it's little too, which always is yeah. a virtue in Defin- writing books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. No, it's, it's a, there's, there's two halves, right? Hegel and Haiti, yeah. universal history. It's like, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. These are like 50 pages. It's like, you know, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Shit, mm-hmm. Like a Gombin took the lesson from that, right? Like every book is like, a hundred pages oh, or less. That's 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 interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, except yeah. for was it the Kingdom and the Glory? That's a big. It's one. longer. Yeah. 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 But Hegel did not learn that. Yeah, I guess no. he lived in the wrong epoch. He could write <laughs> long books. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, okay, that's a lesson. And uh, over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd.